May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. How's everybody doing? Staying cool in the heat outside? Trying to? Uh, well, I thought I would start us off with a story from a long time ago in my life. It was third grade, and at that point I went to St. Andrew's Episcopal School in Amarillo, Texas. And one of the priests at the time was named Father Fred, and he and I had a great relationship all through uh, private school before I went to middle school. But there was a day in the morning where I was buying everything that he was selling. It was chapel before 8 o'clock class started, and he was preaching on John 6, the same gospel we have this morning. And all I really heard him say was, if you believe, you will live forever. And in my third grade intellect, I thought, who wouldn't want to live forever? I am in. Sign me up. I'm drinking the coffee. But just that week, as life does, something happened, which already, it was days. I heard that, was really excited about the idea of living forever, everlasting life as a third grader understands it. And then our beloved, beloved family dog, a 14-year-old, got sick. She, it was a, a, a chow named April, and she got sick very quickly and died very quickly. And you can see the scene in a day's time coming off of that what Father Fred said to literally days later, me crying myself to sleep, my dad holding me and beginning to answer questions of some of the not so great things of life. And it led me on the pursuit of what is life, how I live that life, and then exactly what is this thing living forever? What was Father Fred talking about that I began to misunderstand? And I, that probably sets us up to realize as, as we mature and as we gain age, as the gray starts to come in, we realize that life is precious. And then we begin to realize that it's in this form not going to be there forever. And we all have to come to grips with our mortality. And that there's a physical life, which yes, we need to do several things that we stay healthy and build our knowledge and all of those things we have to do on a daily basis. But there's this other thing, life everlasting. And we can get so caught up that it actually builds fear in us. You've probably tasted this yourself of, I want to live my life well. I only have one. There are so many days, and I want to live it to the best and experience everything there is to experience. And it's amazing when we get to that point. Sometimes we can be so fearful that we have not lived life to its fullest that sometimes we, we can be on the deathbed or approaching it and think, did I waste my life? Have I lived it the best that I can live it? We have in John chapter 6 a great statement from Jesus, which I think cuts to the very heart of this human wrestle that you've just heard me describe. 
We've been hearing it over the past four weeks, and we've got one more week of it next week. This major statement Jesus makes, profound statement, I am the bread of life. And this statement, it cuts to the very heart of these issues of life, how we live our lives, and the very source of eternal life. This is John chapter 6, the entire chapter, also known as the Bread of Life Discourse. And as they framed the Revised Common Lectionary, we have John chapter 6 in its entirety over five weeks of the liturgical calendar, five Sundays. The context of this, it is based around the feeding of the 5,000, where the, the crowd of, that was gathered and they were hungry and they found a little boy and took his lunch of the two fish and five barley loaves and multiplied it. So there was delicious bread for everyone and then more so. They collected buckets to keep for the end. They really want us to look at bread, what that means to us and Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. Have you ever had a conversation with some friends, maybe a couple of them have gone to that newest, greatest movie, and you haven't seen it yet, and they actually start talking about it, and you feel lost because you have no idea what they're saying. I think in a number of the John 6 readings, we hear about the manna that comes from heaven. It's a story from the Old Testament which is drawn on. And I want us to consider, just go back to the context of why that is added in John 6, because ultimately it helps us with the wrestle of life eternal. What we have is that line comes from the manna from heaven, comes from Exodus, the book of Exodus, where the Israelites are in captivity and they are under oppression underneath the tyrant Pharaoh. And God sends Moses in power and the plagues and these people, the Israelites, find themselves freed as they cross the Red Sea from the years of captivity and oppression. And then we hear in Exodus chapter 15, there's the song of Moses, which in realizing their freedom they glorify God and they say, God, the great deliverer, God who freed us from the chariots of Pharaoh. They are singing the praises in thanks for their newfound freedom to God and to Moses. The very next chapter in chapter 16, this newly freed group finds themselves in the wilderness, in the desert, and all of a sudden food natural substance of life begins to become scarce. In one chapter of Exodus, we have them singing the praises of God and Moses to questioning and grumbling in the next chapter of, well, we were slaves in Egypt, but at least we had food. What have you led us out here to die? Was the heart of their questioning. And this leads us to the manna that comes for a 40-year period. Every day, and they wake up to this bread. God answers that prayer of what did you lead us out here to die with the manna that comes from heaven. 
And this is an important context to know as we move 2,000 years later and before Jesus comes on the scene, we have prophecies of a coming Savior, a Christ, a Messiah, who will come and with him will come manna from heaven. And this is important uh, to know for John chapter 6. But as we look a little closer as the whole chapter, one thing that I've noticed is the movement of the crowd. We, so we talked about this, the actual thing that happens, the feeding of the 5,000, and just watching and considering the movement of the crowd all the way through chapter 6. I guess I should be used to it by now, but it never ceases to surprise me, knowing the context setting us up for it. In their own way, this group, the group that has formed the crowd of 5,000, they are chasing life the betterment of life, and they actually hear about everlasting life. They have seen Jesus teach things that they had never heard before, some life-changing things. They have seen and experienced miracles and healing. And they say, we find life with this Jesus. As the crowd, as he's gaining reputation for all of these things, the crowd continues to grow. But as we get to this point, this is almost a crescendo, the 5,000, we hear grumbling return from the people. That group of 5,000 begins to break and dissipate. And by the reading of the closing of chapter 6 we have next week, the 5,000 has shrunk and Jesus is left asking the 12, will you remain by my side? What is going on here? This is the movement of the crowd, a crescendo of 5,000 and probably even more, leaving us at the end of a chapter where the people in droves have left. And his, those closest to him, he's asking, will you remain by my side? This is what has happened. Jesus has exposed. In the lines we have From verses 51 to 58 today in chapter 6, Jesus has exposed their motivation of the crowd, and he has called them out. He shows them that the life that they are seeking is empty, and he gives them the source and meaning of everlasting and eternal life. You can see that they come to this debate, this argument we have within ourselves today about need. What is perceived need and what is actual need? In our English language, when we talk about the word we have for life, there's really only a couple of ways that we can use it. I can come to you in desperation and I can can say, can he or she, are they alive? Or in general conversation, I can say, how's life? as that is a normal way that we greet one another in conversation. In the Greek, John, here in chapter 6, actually draws upon two Greek words that both mean life, but very different types of life. He refers to bios, the Greek word bios, which means physical or material life. 
these things that we need, food, air, money, the bios things of life. And then John uses the other Greek word for life being zoe. And this is what zoe means, eternal life. Life that transcends the physical, eternal life known as zoe. Jesus, we hear, don't look for the food that perishes. Look for zoe, the food that is eternal and everlasting. In other words, he's telling the crowd, you have a hunger that actually transcends your physical hunger in a deep thirst that transcends your normal thirst. He's telling the crowd, you have a zoe need that you are constantly trying to fill with the means of bios. You're concerned with your stomach, he tells them, and I am actually concerned with your heart. And this is what fascinates me by the movement of the crowd, is that we today are still that crowd. We still are having and fighting this on a daily basis, having these arguments internally with one another and still with God. Sure, for that crowd, it was a different context, but we're still fighting the same battle. For them, it was pre-death and pre-resurrection, getting to walk with the physical Jesus and his 33 years of uh, life and his three years of ministry. And, of course, that group had heard prophecies about the coming Messiah, and they had just seen this miracle with the bread, and in their minds they think, manna. There's a correlation. Maybe this is the coming Messiah. But instead of saying the prophecy is fulfilled, they are saying that bread is delicious. Can we have a little more of that? But they didn't know what we still argue today. From the Exodus event through chapter 6, which we will close next week, still to this day, we try to minimize our need and fill it with ways that we can control. And our hearts, when we get in those frames of mind, can lead us to desperate places. You hear, you, you're here this morning, you know that something is wrong and broken out there in the world. But the question chapter 6 poses to us this morning is do we agree with God on what is wrong in the world? It's a big question that Jesus answers with a profound, life-changing answer. How often are they, the crowd, and we today stopping at bios means and not looking to the actual means of life? where we actually define what the meaning of life is in Jesus. We find all these other things to feast on. You can go through a list. We could look to a bottle. We can look to ways to medicate. We can look for encouragement from others. There are several different ways that are compared to bread, physical things, bios in the Greek things, that we try to fill the void left 
in our hearts. Where Jesus is telling that crowd and continues to tell us, I am the answer. Relationship with me is the answer. Came up with a corny little idea to, uh, to show you what that means. Anybody know who Leonard Fournette is? Running back for the Jaguars. I have a fictitious relationship with Leonard Fournette. I have never met the man, never got to shake his hand, but I cheer for him. It's a, re- a relationship that actually doesn't do much for me. But we know that real change comes from the relationships that mean the most to us. Our families, our mothers, our fathers, our wives, our husbands, our children. Getting to work with the staff here in ministry, sharing life, sharing life with you. These types of relationships are the ones we know where change comes from. And this is why Jesus points it out. We know something about relationships. And as he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall not thirst. The deeper implication, Jesus is telling them and he's telling us, I am what you have been looking for. I'm everything you have ever needed I am enough. And why does he do that? Because he goes to the cross and the bread of life is broken, was broken for us. He dies in our place. He bears the penalty that was ours to bear. He raises again in victory over sin and death so hungry sinners like ourselves might feast on his grace. And thirsty sinners might drink cups of forgiveness and love. Jesus finds the crowd and often finds us starving to death. Oftentimes with the stomach full of Savior substitutes. Eating to become hungry again and exhausting ourselves and looking only to the bios means of life. But he tells us, In the Zoe, you have found it. This, what we talk about in John chapter 6, I am the source of everlasting life. Jesus himself, the source of eternal life. I don't know why they cut it off, but one verse earlier in the psalm that we had today, which we didn't hear, but you will hear in closing, come, taste and see, experience, and know that our Lord Jesus Christ is good. Amen.